16, and we'll be looking at the first seven verses together. Turning to Acts 14, verses 1 through 7, on behalf of Rachel and myself, let me just say thank you for uh, partnering with us to raise our children in the Lord. We're very grateful for that. And uh, Rachel and I have talked many times over the years that one of the things that we're most grateful for about this church uh, when it comes to our children is that you love them unconditionally and that you don't put expectations upon them because they're pastor's kids that are unrealistic and unfair. Uh, my kids aren't perfect. Their father certainly isn't perfect. Um, and so that, that just means a lot to me. I've watched a lot of, uh, of young people that have come through pastor's homes or missionaries' homes that uh, have struggled with having expectations placed upon them that are unfair. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for for praying for my kids, loving my kids, taking care of them. And, and in all honesty, uh, every one of you have treated them like they were your own. And that just means a lot to us. We're grateful. We are very grateful. Let's pray together. God, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, Just want to pause for a minute, God. Just acknowledge that we don't deserve you. But you're kind, you're merciful, and you're good, and you're forgiving. You love us with not a human love, but a covenantal love. You keep your promises. cultivate growth in our hearts persevere with us God you forbear with us you're patient you remember that we're dust that we're just sheep often fearful often plagued with worry and anxiety we just struggle God but you know that. That doesn't take you by surprise. And yet, you demonstrated your own love towards us and that you sent Christ to die for us, for which we're thankful. And then you've given your spirit to live inside of us as believers, for which we're thankful. And then God, for the unbeliever that's sitting here this morning, your kindness is seen in the fact that they're hearing the truth and the gospel and they're being called to you even now. So for that, we're thankful. You still save people. We're just really grateful, God. Father, I want to say also, Lord, thank you for the children that you've blessed us with here. God, you have blessed us mightily beyond what we deserve. Help us take that calling seriously. Father, we pray for your spirit's illumination now. God, we're so weak and we're so dull and we're so hard-hearted and we're so wayward at times and so callous at times that 
Our minds wander often when the word is read. Our minds often wander when we pray. Our, our minds often are a thousand miles away when we're talking about the things of you even or hearing the things of you talked about. And so God, again, you know that's true of us. And so we ask for forgiveness of that. And we ask for your spirit's help today. That God, you would do for us what we need desperately, which is for you to open our eyes open our hearts, open our minds to the truth. And Lord, it's not enough just to have head knowledge. We, we need you to work in our, in our hearts and our wills, God, to embrace that truth and then to apply that truth to our lives. So that's what we pray for as well. And we do that confidently because of Christ, our great high priest, and the truth that you are our good shepherd. Thank you that you love us, Lord. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but the Navy SEALs, Pastor Jim, you'll know this. The Navy SEALs have a saying, the only easy day was yesterday. The only easy day was yesterday. It's an interesting thing that that's a, that that's a, uh, a phrase that the military would use, but we could easily take that phrase, that sentence, and apply it to the Christian life, amen? The only easy day was yesterday. And I'm not trying to be a downer, but the reality is I'm grateful that the Bible speaks to pain and suffering and hardship and adversity in the world. God's not silent on it, God speaks on it, and we know that it's a product of the fall. We know we have a creator that all of God created. Everything he did was good and that everything's been tainted by the fall. So therefore we live in a world that's fallen and part of that is adversity and hardship and suffering and trials and tribulations. And that's what our text deals with this morning in Acts 14. It's an interesting thing in Acts 14. Because as we've journeyed, not only through the book of Acts, but specifically starting in chapter 13, where Paul and Barnabas were sent out on a new journey with a new mission, every time we've turned around, every new story that we read, it's some other shape, it's some other form, it's some other variety, it's some other type of trial, some other type of hardship. And the severities of those hardships vary as well. Think about it with me. Paul and Barnabas set apart in Acts 13 to take the gospel to the Gentiles. What an exciting time that had to be for them. That they knew clearly that this was part of God's plan. They had seen it in scripture. We talked about that at length. But then we know they didn't get very far down the road before they were confronted with a false prophet named Bar-Jesus who tried to oppose their message. Then they went just a little bit farther and they were persecuted by unbelieving Jews in Antioch, Pisidia. Of course, I forgot to mention the very first thing that happened to them was that their team of ministry, so to speak, uh, had dissension in it because John Mark deserted them. He left them. So think about that. And we've talked about this before, but it's good to be reminded. God calls you. God sends you. You're excited. 
You're fired up. You're ready. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. So they're deserted by John Mark. They meet a false prophet that's trying to undo their message. They're run out of town in Antioch, Pisidia. And they come to Iconium in our text. And naturally, we begin to think as humans, I wonder if it will be different this time around for them. I wonder when they get there if they'll be accepted. I wonder if they'll be loved. I wonder if they'll be treated fairly and rightly and if the gospel will be embraced. Well, some of that is true. They were loved. The gospel was embraced. But they were also persecuted. And it's interesting. With every single mile, every single step, the farther away they get from Antioch, their sending church, the harder it gets. I want you to think about that one more time. Every step they take, every mile they travel, the farther they get away from their sending church, the harder it gets. The only easy day was what? Yesterday. It's an interesting concept. So I want us to look at this passage together. And we're going to look at the nature of the attack that they suffer. Because we're going to see that they're attacked verbally. And then there's going to be an attempt on their life. They're going to try to be, someone's going to try to murder them in cold blood. But yet, in the midst of it all, we're going to see the faithfulness of the apostles. And not only are we going to see the faithfulness of the apostles, but more importantly, we're going to to see the faithfulness of our God. Amen. So look with me at the text. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Now at Iconium... They entered together into the Jewish synagogue. And they spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews, excuse me, a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Verse 3. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Look with me at verse 1. As I've already mentioned, they're driven out of Antioch, Pisidia, and they arrive in Iconium. And just from a simple reading of the text, one thing that we can definitely begin to pick up on is the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. Amen. It's funny how we have a tendency to think that way, don't we? We have a tendency to think that the grass will be greener on the other side of the fence. You ever seen a cow eating grass on the other side of the fence? It's pretty funny. I mean, they got perfectly good grass in the pasture. In fact, they got perfectly good grass right in front of them. But yet, for whatever reason, they choose to eat 
grass on the other side of the fence. But brothers and sisters, we're not that much different, are we? We tend to think like, if I could change jobs, if I could change cities, if I could change neighborhoods, if I could change churches, if I could just change my location, if I could change my spouse, then everything would be perfect. Everything would be better. But it doesn't really work out that way, does it? I mean, look at the text. It's an amazing thing that happens. They preach the gospel when they get to Iconium, and so many people come to faith in Christ. These are legit salvations. The word believe there at the end of verse 1 is the word pastuo in the Greek. So it's letting us know that this is a full entrustment of mind, heart, will, and emotion to God. These Jews that this verse is talking about are legitimate brothers and sisters in Christ that we will meet in heaven one day. By the way, as an aside, it's really good to do this. When you're reading about people coming to faith in Christ, remember, this is your family history. This is your genealogy as a Christian. These aren't people that just didn't exist. These are people that actually existed. These are brothers and sisters in Christ we'll meet one day. So these people genuinely came to faith in Christ. And then you come to verse 2. Notice the contrast. Verse 1, Jews and Greeks believe. Verse 2, unbelieving Jews. I mean, Luke is so clear. There are people that came to faith in Christ, and then there are people that did not come to faith in Christ. And the people that did not come to faith in Christ began to stir up and make trouble for Paul and Barnabas and for the other believers. This is what I'm saying. The only easy day was yesterday. This is what I'm saying. The grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. Just because they weren't in Antioch, Pisidia any longer, just because they weren't under that trial, they weren't under that adversity, they weren't under that hardship, they weren't under any of those things any longer, didn't mean that hardship, adversity, and trials were going to magically go away. Brothers and sisters, we have to be careful that we're not looking for the wrong Messiah. Location is not a Messiah. A change of address is not a Messiah. A change of jobs is not a Messiah. There's only one Messiah, and that's Jesus Christ. So we have to be careful. Grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. Elizabeth Elliot, many of you may know who she is. The wife of Jim Elliot, the martyred missionary in Ecuador, said this. The secret of joy is Christ in me not me in different circumstances. Let us sink in for just a minute. That may be worth writing down. That may be worth putting somewhere where you see it on a daily basis. The secret of joy is Christ in me, not me in different circumstances. But we're so tempted to think the opposite, are we not? We're so tempted to think that Somehow, some way, God really isn't in control. That God really hasn't ordained my circumstances. That I really shouldn't trust Him with what's going on in my life at the moment. And we tend to look to the wrong Messiah. I just want to challenge you to think about that. Now look at what happens. Verse 2 again. These unbelieving Jews 
they stir up the Gentiles, the Bible says, and they poison their mind against the brothers, Paul and Barnabas and the other believers. Brothers is a collective term to talk about these new Christians and Paul and Barnabas. That word stirred up. It means to literally to wake up from sleep. Now it doesn't talking, it's not talking about the fact that the whole town was asleep. It's just a figure of speech. It's a, it's a word picture to help us know that when Paul and Barnabas were there and they began to preach the gospel, there was no dissension. There was no disunity. There was no disruption. There was no persecution. None of those things were a reality until these unbelieving Jews began to act in such a way as if they were waking someone up from sleep. The text goes on to tell you to help us understand how serious this was. Look at the text again. So they wake them up. It's as if they were peacefully living in the city, but then they begin to, to wake them up. And this is how they do it. Look at the text. They poison their minds. Now, this isn't literally having them drink hemlock or something bad for them. What they were doing is they were poisoning their minds and poisoning their heart and poisoning their soul with their words. That's what they were doing. They were poisoning their minds with words. Now, let's be honest for a minute. It only takes one careless word. It only takes one intentional word to shade or to color or to influence the way that you see someone else. Amen? It only takes one conversation where two hearts aren't in check, where gossip begins to come out and someone's character is maligned. And so then when you see that person, you don't think or see them as a brother or sister in Christ, but you see them the way that they've been talked about or you've talked about them or... I've talked about them. We all sin in this way, brothers and sisters. We tend to be very careless with our words. Or intentionally spiteful with our words. And that's what's going on here. There was, there was such an undercurrent of talk. Such an undercurrent of gossip. Think about poison. What does poison do? It kills you. You can't take just a little bit of poison. In fact, the other day, Chet found a berry... And came up to me after, after church and said, we need to let everyone know not to eat this berry. And he was specifically not talking about the adults, but the children. In case someone found that and a little kid found it and, and ate it, what it would do is it would bring adverse effects to their health very quickly. That's the way poison works. Brother Andy was bit by a, what was it, cottonmouth or rattlesnake when you were younger? Cottonmouth. Not on your top 10 things list to do that day. But as a kid, he was bitten by one, playing in the woods, playing by water, whatever. What happens? That venom begins to course through your veins and it begins to attack your body because it's going to kill you. The point of the text and the way this is written in the Greek is to let you know that every word that was said intentionally changed the way that the unbelieving population of the city saw Paul and saw Barnabas and the way that they were receptive to their message. There's no neutrality. This was an intentional attack on the gospel. This was an intentional attack on Paul and Barnabas. This was an intentional attack on this new church that had just formed. 
This was an intentional attack to hamper the gospel from going forth. So the natural question is this, right? What are they going to do? What are Paul and Barnabas going to do? Well, look at the text. Look at verse 3. So the whole town has been influenced. And look at verse 3. I'm grateful that the Bible gives us all the answers. Look at the text. So they remain for a long time. Brother Jim, Pastor Eric, that made me smile when I read that. In the midst of all this hardship, and in the midst of all this adversity, in the midst of all this new city, new town, new work God's been doing, and all of this intentional attack on the gospel, and Paul and Barnabas have this decision that they have to make, do we go or do we stay? What do they do? They, they stay. It's pretty awesome. They remain. Not only do they remain, but they don't remain and hide from the culture. They don't remain and, and be quiet. You know, think about our culture. Our culture says this to us overwhelmingly. You can be a Christian, just don't bring your beliefs to work with you. You can be a Christian, just don't bring it to wherever else that you're at. You keep it in your home, you keep it private, but don't bring it to the culture at large. Did Paul and Barnabas do that? Look at the text. They remained there for a long time. And the text says that they spoke boldly for the Lord. It's pretty awesome. Brother Jason... In the original language, this means that they preached fearlessly. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it an awesome thing? I know you love athletics. Isn't it an awesome thing when you watch an athlete compete fearlessly? They're not thinking. They're just playing. Paul and Barnabas are not training for the Olympics in Rome. But they are preaching with a freedom and they are preaching with the boldness that comes from walking in the spirit. Brother Eric told us a couple of weeks ago that when we make the choices to fear man, there are consequences that come with that choice. And when we look at this text, persecution is brewing. People's minds are being influences. Lies are being given but Paul and Barnabas decide to stay and they aren't quiet nor silent. They preach the gospel fearlessly. Isn't that awesome? Now look at the text. Look at how God blesses. They remain there for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Look at how God blesses. God does this. He bore witness to the word of his grace. Brother Jim, as they're preaching, the Spirit's watering it. Pastor Tom, as they're preaching, the Spirit's blessing it. He's blessing the gospel ministry. He's blessing their faithfulness to the Word. And Pastor Eric's handled this several different times, so I'm not going to go there on this this morning. I'll just refer you back to some of the sermons that he's preached and done very well on this. So he bore witness to the Word by... Verse 3 says, granting signs and wonders to be done with their hands. He was just authenticating the truth of the gospel with these sign gifts. It's pretty awesome. I want you to take a look with me at Isaiah 55. 
Isaiah 55, a really familiar passage of scripture. Isaiah chapter 55, look with me at verses 10 and 11. The Bible says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Oh, now listen. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You know what this means? Go back to Acts 14 now. We can have confidence in the midst of a trial, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of adversity. We're trying to be a faithful mom. We're trying to be a faithful dad. We're trying to be a faithful student at school. We're trying to be a faithful employee. We're trying to be a faithful husband, whatever it may be. Trying to lead a ministry. Trying to preach the gospel. Our confidence is not in our flesh. Our confidence is in the spirit of God and his word. That's where our confidence is. Why can Paul and Barnabas stay there? You say, well, maybe they just had a lot of fortitude. Maybe they were just really strong. Maybe they were just made out of extra special human stuff. No, their confidence was in the word of God and in the spirit of God. And God blessed their faithfulness. Last week in Family Connect, Brother Stephen did an amazing job giving us an overview of the Reformation. In particular, he talked about the events surrounding 1517, and the 95 Theses, and why they were put on the door of the church there in Wittenberg, Germany. But if you fast forward at just a five years to 1522, when the Reformation was fully in swing and fully underway, Luther preaches a sermon to his church in Germany and I won't read it all to you, but part of the sermon, he said this. I did nothing. The word of God did it all. That's our confidence, brothers and sisters. That's our confidence. Our confidence should be that when we open the Bible and read in our, with our families, it's not what we know or not what we don't know. But when we read the word of God, we're reading the infallible and errant word of God with our children with our wife or by ourselves or with a coworker, and when it's preached it never returns void we have to have eyes of faith God's always doing more than what we can see and when we go to Brighton Baptist Church and this church that needs so much work and there's only four people in attendance and the preacher is one of those in attendance we can have confidence that when the word goes out, God will use it to transform his people. That's why Luther would say, I did nothing. The word did it all. Now, look back at the text. Verse 4. Paul and Barnabas are faithful. They continue to, to preach the gospel. And God blesses their preaching and their ministry. And all of a sudden, there's more attack that comes. Look at verse 4. People of the city were divided. It's where we get our English word schism from. The Greek word is schizo. There's a clear divide. Some side with the Jews and some side with the apostles. This town is split pure in half. Real quick, 
Doctrine divides. Doctrine unites. The gospel separates. The exclusivity of Christ when preached rightly separates the sheep from the goats. And don't forget that God will do that one day. Christ will stand, all people will stand before Christ and he will separate the sheep from the goats. That's what's happening here in the text. Yes, there's persecution. Yes, there's trials. Yes, there's hardship. But there's also a clear, clear dividing line of those who are in the faith and not the faith. It's interesting. Look at verse 5. There's an attempt made by the Jews and the Gentiles. There's an action, an attempt. What do they want to do? Well, they want to mistreat them and then look at the end of verse 5. They want to stone them. They want to stone Paul and Barnabas. Let me just be clear what that means. That means that they would have gathered them in some way, captured them in some way, sat them in the middle of them in some way, gathered rocks, gathered stones of various sizes, various shapes, and various weight, uh, weights, and they would have thrown them at those, thrown those stones at them until they took their life from them. Brothers and sisters, that's how much Satan hates the gospel. When we gather together, there is a war waging over your souls. There is a war waging over the souls of unbelievers. I hope that you pray for the preacher. I hope that you pray for your church family. I hope when you get up in the morning that you pray. I hope that you pray for the battle that's waging all week for the one that's going to be preaching. Because it is a battle. It is very, very difficult. Not only for me, but for you. Think about how nuts things are on Sunday mornings. Kids can't find their shoes. Kids can't find their socks. We tend to get in arguments on Sunday mornings. Why is it that way? It's a battle. And we often look at the wrong enemy. Our enemy's not our spouse. Our enemy's not our children. We have a real enemy. This is a battle that's waging war over the souls of people in Iconium. They want to kill the very people that have come to help them by beating them to death with rocks. It's crazy. Now look at the text. I think Paul and Barnabas made the right call here. They use God-given wisdom to say, I think it's time for us to leave. And they do leave. They go to other cities of Galatia. So Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and these surrounding cities were part of the province of Galatia. So when you read the book of Galatians, by the way, and the, the beginning of Galatians says to the churches in Galatia, Iconium would have been one of those churches that would have gotten that letter meant to be read in the, in the congregation. But this is awesome. Look at verse 7. What do they do? They go to these new cities. Look at verse 7. And there they continued to preach what? The gospel. They don't quit. They don't back down. They don't give in. They just continue to preach the gospel. Let me give us some points of application. Number one, we need to trust God, trust his word, and trust his providence. You say, Doug, you give that same application every single time you preach. We need to hear it every single time every preacher preaches. I need to hear it every day. Trust God. 
Trust his providence, even when it's an adverse, hard situation. God's in control. Let's not forget, by the way, Paul had already been told in Acts chapter 9 that his whole life after conversion would be filled with suffering, heartache, persecution for the gospel. God had already told him it wasn't a surprise. He just didn't know how it all was going to unfold. So the only thing that Paul could do was to trust the God who made him, trust the God who saved him, trust the God who sent him with the gospel to say, I know my God is good. I know he's working things out for his glory and for my good. He's already given this to me in his word. I can trust him. Number two, don't quit too soon. Don't quit too soon. Some of you came to church today ready to quit. Some of you may have came to church today ready to quit God, ready to quit following, ready to quit ministry, ready to quit leadership, ready to quit, ready to quit whatever you're doing for the Lord because it's just too hard. Can I, can I encourage you? Don't quit too soon. Don't quit too soon. I'll never forget, Rachel, you'll remember this, when Scott Walker and his kindness to me took me to Muscle Shoals, Alabama to go to First Baptist Church of Muscle Shoals. And I went to a, a conference, Scott and I did. And in God's kind providence to me, there were things that I'd walked through, but things that were ahead that were really tough that the pastor of the church addressed. And one of the things that he said, and I was a younger man then, he said, don't quit too soon in this journey of reforming churches biblically don't quit too soon and I needed to hear that can I be honest with you some of you that have been here a really long time will remember this my first month here was very difficult because there was a faction within the church that had risen up and had begun to teach that you could lose your salvation. Eric hadn't come on the field yet. He was coming, but he had an obligation. He had to commit or finish out that commitment with athletes in action, he and Mandy. Jim wasn't here yet, but he was on his way in God's providence. I didn't know him yet, but that was coming too, brother. He had other things for you to do. So here I am in a church plant with no other pastors beside me. And it caused a firestorm. Some of you remember that. There was a lot of people that left. Praise God for Chad Brooks and praise God for Drew Silvis. Because they stood with me and said, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. We're not going to believe that here. We believe that you, you persevere to the end by the Spirit's grace fast forward a few more years eric's on the scene pastor jim's coming but he's not here yet pastor eric and i are leading the church to embrace missions because we felt like a right understanding of the gospel leads you to embrace the unreached peoples of the world Just how it works there were people that were left i'll spare you the details there were people that left then because they didn't believe that. 
they thought we needed to concentrate on other things and so they left and that was another painful period fast forward a co another couple of years pastor jim is here at this time praise god so is pastor eric praise god two faithful brothers you should praise god for these two men when we had the hardest thing that we've ever gone through in this church where our church split over doctrine over the gospel did you catch the three things I told you? Every one of those were over the gospel. The first one was over the gospel. Missions was over the gospel. And the core truths of the gospel. You know, for a long time, it was Pastor Jim and Miss Kathy. My family. Mr. Bill. Mr. Bill said, I'll go down swinging. I don't care if it's just me. I'm with you. Love you, man. Thank you. I probably miss Amy and you and Billy. And if I forget some others, please forgive me. Don't beat me up afterwards, Miss Amy. You remember that was hard times. And can I be honest? There were so many moments where I just wanted to quit. I'm thinking, God, this is way too hard. You, you, <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. I just want to help people. I just want to tell people about the gospel. I just want to see people transformed. Why? There was a depression and a funk that I went through that Pastor Tom helped me with or Pastor Eric helped me with for a really long time. But God, I'm so thankful I didn't quit. Look at you guys. And the lives that have been changed. We're supporting a missionary couple that sent Bibles to South Sudan this week. One of the hardest places on the face of the planet. Islam has a stronghold. And a gospel witness went there this week. Think about the work that Pastor Jam is leading us to do in Africa. Praise God for that. I'm just telling you, don't quit. Lean into Christ. Quit trying to do it on your own. Trust me, don't quit too soon. You don't know what God's doing around the corner. I'm just grateful. And finally, keep your eyes on the prize. Look with me at Hebrews 13, 14. We're going to look at two passages. I promise I'm almost done. Let me just say I'm grateful for my wife as well. Rachel, I love you. I don't deserve you. Just know that behind every pastor that struggles, there's a wife that watches that pastor struggle, that she struggles as well. So you should pray for Kathy. And you should pray for Mandy. Look at verse 14, Hebrews 4, excuse me, 13, 14. text says for here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that's to come we got to keep our eyes on the prize guys we got to keep our eyes on the prize this earth is not our home we get so caught up in the adversity we get so caught up in the persecution we get so caught up in the trials we get so caught up in the uncomfortable comfortableness i get it sometimes we just want relief we do anything to find relief 
Keep your eyes on the prize. One more scripture. Go to Matthew 13. This is it. Then we'll close. Look at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I'm just going to shoot you straight. Jesus has to be worth everything to you. This man in this parable that Jesus told, all of the stuff that he owned didn't mean squat to what he found because what he found was greater than what he had already owned. There's a spiritual lesson here that Jesus is greater than everything else and we need to be willing to give up everything to follow him. Here's my point, connecting it to adversity, hardship, and suffering. Like we're watching the apostles. It's different every time. It's intensifying every time. And next week, we're going to see it in a different form as well. Here's my point. If Jesus isn't worth everything to you, then when the storm comes, you'll quit following him. He's got to be worth more than comfort. He's got to be worth more than ease. He's got to be worth more than anything else in this life. And we know that's true. But if you're like me, I need to be reminded of that. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, when I think of this church, I'm humbled by the kindness that you've showed us. I'm a faithless man, God. So many nights, so many days, so many weeks, months, years even, I doubted you. I didn't understand. Pray forgive me for that, God. And I look at what you're doing and I'm just overjoyed that you are reforming a church to the Bible, your word, a church that loves your word. I'm grateful. I pray for the one that's here this morning, God, that came here thinking, man, I really wanna quit. This is way too hard. Strengthen them in their inner man, like Ephesians speaks of. Give them what they don't possess, which is faithfulness and courage and boldness and strength. Thank you that you sanctify us to make us more like Christ. And then, Father, I pray for the one that's here this morning that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything, Father. The Christian life is not pie in the sky by and by. It's a war. It's an out-and-out war. But when we find the one that's worth losing everything for, everything changes. And so, God, I pray that today will be the day of salvation for someone listening online or someone listening here on the property. May you be glorified as you save someone now. 
and as you build up your saints. Praise in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand together as we close with a song. Father, along. <laughs> 